What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I am back from vacation. It was nice. Might get into that a little bit later this week. There's a lot going on, you know, all across the football world right now. Basketball starting back up. The Major League Baseball playoffs are going on. There's so much going on. Might get to the honeymoon a little bit later in the week, but I am so glad to be back. A lot to break down from this weekend. I can't wait to get into it. It's a loaded podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. said I am back from vacation back from the honeymoon had a fantastic time got back on Saturday afternoon just in time for kickoff in what was dare I say the best college football game of the year Oregon on the road taking on the Washington Huskies Washington wins 36 to 33 people are so excited about this Washington Huskies football team they're now ranked fifth in the AP poll they received Two first place votes in that poll. They received two first place votes in the coaches poll. Okay, Oregon, meanwhile, falls one spot to number nine after the loss in the AP poll, and they drop to 11th in the coaches poll. And I am here to tell you that Washington won, so they should be ranked higher according to this AP poll and this coaches poll. But I'm also here to tell you that the better football team did not win that game. Oregon would have won on any other day. They're the better team. They just didn't play their best. I really think that it comes down to that. Oregon did everything better than Washington. Bo Nix threw for more yards than Michael Penix. Oregon ran for more yards than Washington. Oregon ran 21 more plays and held the ball for nine more minutes than Washington. Washington turned the ball over more than Oregon. Oregon outplayed Washington. In every aspect of the game except for one. That one aspect was fourth down. Oregon goes 0 for 3 on fourth down conversions. Two of them crucial, crucial failures. Right? You have the one at the end of the first half. You know, three seconds left. It's fourth and goal. Instead of taking the points, instead of taking the opportunity to score 10 points in a row because they got the ball back to start the second half, Dan Landing goes, nah, we're going for six. I want a touchdown. I want to step on Washington's throat heading into the half. And Washington, they get the stop, right? So they go, you know, in a halftime, whatever. In the moment, you're like, not a big deal. They get the ball coming out. I kind of like the aggressive call. Hindsight, though, 2020, it's like, "Er, probably should have taken the three points, right? In the fourth quarter, they they go for it twice on fourth down, right? The first one was on the Washington 8-yard eight, eight line. Obviously, they don't get it. Not a big deal. They make Washington go three and out. They get a short field, respond with a touchdown. Not a big deal there. That's where that's why the analytics, analytics say to go for it there, right? Because if you don't get it, you get a stop, you get a short field, right? That's how that works. Then the second one happens with just over two minutes left. And this is the one that didn't make any sense. In the moment, I was like, you got to kick this. You got to kick this. Oregon goes for it on fourth down at Washington's 47-yard line. Okay? Meanwhile, the Washington Huskies, this offense and this passing attack that people just rave about, and they go on and on and on. Oh, the Washington Huskies, watch out. They can put up points. They can score the football. 
Yeah, uh, the Huskies had failed to score on their last three drives up to that point, including two of them being three and outs. Okay, this Oregon Ducks defense is amongst one of the best in the country. They should have punted the ball and played defense. Dan Lanning, super aggressive, right? That's kind of the reputation that he has. When he wants to put a game away, he's going to do it. They, do, they don't play scared. That's one of the things I really like about Dan Lanning. That's one of the things I really like about this Oregon team. They don't play scared. They are ultra-aggressive to a point where people use that as the identifier for Dan Lanning, and I'm here to tell you, that is not the case. The identifier for Dan Lanning, the reputation, the thing that he is known for, or dare I say, should be known for, is the defense. That is his identity. Those are his roots. He was the defensive coordinator at Georgia under Kirby Smart, and the defense while he was there, uh, pretty awesome. He's a defensive-minded head coach, and this Oregon defense is really, really good. As I said, one of the best in the country. They had figured something out defensively to slow the Huskies down, and they could have gotten another stop. Instead, Lanning decides to go away from his roots as a coach and one of the best parts of his team, and they lose, in large part because of it. He should have given his defense a chance, and as I said earlier, hindsight twenty twenty, right? So maybe... You know, you could very easily say, well, Jonathan, if he'd gotten it, then they probably would have iced the game and they would have won. Probably, you're right, but it's a really risky call, okay? And I am all for playing risky and going for it and trying to and playing to win instead of not playing to lose because there's a difference there. I mean, in that moment, you have to rely on your defense. Just with the way that the second half had gone, the success that you had found, slowing down this Washington pass attack, knowing that they have to throw the ball, which in theory should make it even easier to slow down the passing attack, you got to trust your defense there. Instead, they give Washington the short the short field. Two plays later, Washington scores, and then you know Bonix gets the ball, and they move it down the field, and then you know the fifth year senior Camden Lewis continues the trend of how unpredictable college football kickers are. He misses a 43-yarder. If he put it through, it would have gone to overtime. Then, hey, who knows what happens in overtime? Ultimately, though, Oregon's the better football team, and it bothers me that they lost. Okay, They outplayed Washington, as I said, in every phase of the game. Landing just got a little over-aggressive, forgot his roots, didn't trust his defense. They should be fine, though. Okay, they still have to beat Utah, USC, and Oregon State. Those are three good football teams. If they win all three of those, that'll bulk up their resume enough to impress the college football playoff committee. If they do that and they win all the games that they should win, then they could get another shot at Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. It's a real possibility. Meanwhile, I know I've been like dogging. I wouldn't say I've been dogging on Washington, but I've been praising Oregon, talking about how good they are and how they're the better team. But that being said, Washington's a good football team. Okay, I don't want you to walk away from like, oh, Jonathan, you're pretty dismissive of Washington. No, they're one of the best teams in the country, like Oregon is. I just think Oregon is a little bit better. And I think that Washington benefited on Saturday from playing the game at home as well. Because it's, it's tough to go up to Husky Stadium and win. That's, that's a tough place to go win. 
And you also have to give Washington the credit for making the big plays, for getting the stops on fourth down and converting two of their own fourth downs, right? It's really impressive. This is a good football team. But there's just some minor details that I think hold them back from being better than Oregon. They're the most penalized team in the country. That's going to bite them in the butt at some point. They did a good job on Saturday, only committed five penalties. That's a big deal. But it's only one game. Okay, and if they commit a ton of penalties against Utah or Oregon State, then they're going to lose. Okay, Washington's offense is extremely explosive. Michael Penix Jr., front runner for the Heisman, dare I say. And people are jumping on the bandwagon. But let me just caution you, I would wait a little bit longer. Penalties and an inconsistent defense can cost you not a national title, but even the chance at a national title. Okay, Washington could lose to Oregon and they could turn around and they could lose, or excuse me, Washington could lose to Utah and then turn around and lose to Oregon again in the Pac-12 championship game. Then they have two losses. Then guess what? You're playing in the Rose Bowl. You're not playing in the college football playoff. I'm just saying, I would wait a little bit longer before you go all in on Washington. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into the NFL can't wait to get into it. A lot happened on Sunday. Really weird. Really weird Sunday. Uh, should be good, though. As I said, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. Going to get to do some NFL stuff here. Really just, it's kind of a mass category, but then we kind of narrow it down at the end. You'll kind of see what I'm talking about. And then I'm going to come back tomorrow, and I'm going to hit on even more NFL stuff. What, Jonathan? Podcast tomorrow? Yes. Podcast tomorrow. Can't wait to do it. Excuse me, that was disgusting. I apologize. Let's get to let's get to the segment. Lifeboat quarterbacks. That's what I want to talk about. Lifeboat quarterbacks. Okay, because not every quarterback in the NFL is going to last a franchise for 15 years. But some can last long enough to get you to the next guy. Some can last long enough to get you to safety, so to speak. When we look at the NFL, I think we put quarterbacks in three separate categories. There are franchise quarterbacks, there are starting quarterbacks, and there are backup quarterbacks. Now, I would like to introduce one more level of quarterback to the NFL that I like to call lifeboat quarterbacks. Lifeboat quarterbacks sit between backups and starters. Okay, so they aren't, you know, Nick Mullins, but they also aren't Dak Prescott. Okay, every team is obviously looking for the Patrick Mahomes or the Josh Allen-sized cruise ships of the NFL to live off of during the season, during those 18 weeks, right? Quarterbacks like that, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, the Josh Allens, the Joe Burrows, so on and so forth, they tend to make the playoffs every year unless they get hurt then in those situations, it's nice to have a good lifeboat. Quarterbacks who fall into this lifeboat category are guys who can keep the season alive. Guys who can keep you formidable, not formidable, excuse me, guys who can keep you afloat while you're waiting to draft your next quarterback or your starting quarterback gets hurt, okay? Quarterbacks... That can be starters on bad teams, you know, and hover around 500, right? That's what a lot of these guys are. Or, in their most valuable role, 
they are excellent backups on good teams. Okay, lifeboat quarterbacks over a four game stretch can go two and two, three and one, but you don't want that you don't want them to play long term. That's not the goal for these guys. That's not where they become most valuable. Guys like this, quarterbacks that I'm talking about are guys like Gardner Minshew, Teddy Bridgewater, Jacoby Brissett, Josh Dobbs, Taylor Heineke, Tyrod Taylor, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's retired now, right? These guys who can be starters, and if they're your starters, you're like, okay, like this is fine. We're probably going to draft a quarterback, but like this works for now. Or they're the backup. And, you know, when... Patrick Mahomes gets hurt, and Chad Henney has to come in off the bench in a playoff game. Andy Reid's like, hey, would we rather have Patrick Mahomes? Of course, but I can get it done with Chad Henney playing quarterback. Okay, if any of these quarterbacks you know, that I've listed or used in the example come in during the middle of the game, the coach feels comfortable. Okay, like this guy can come in, he can run the offense the way that it's supposed to be ran. Uh, the issue is when these quarterbacks have to play too much because they, they are limited. Okay, and the more teams watch them and they figure out what they are and aren't good at, they, they can make the adjustments. Like, hey, Gardner Minshew is the perfect example of this this year for the Colts. When he came in mid-game against the Texans and the Titans, both games combined, he completed 81% of his passes as he led the Colts to victories in both games. He started against the Ravens, and they won in overtime on the road in Baltimore. It was really surprising. People freaked out. In his fourth game of the year, though, he started on Sunday against the Jags, and the hourglass kind of feels like it ran out. He threw three picks, only completed 60% of his passes. And look, let's be honest, if you're stuck on a lifeboat for four weeks, your chances of surviving are not great. Early on, these quarterbacks can hang in there. They can give you a chance at survival, right? But the longer they're the ones you depend on, the more and more likely your team is to sink. So... Let's get into, I wouldn't call him a controversial quarterback, but he's a quarterback we talk about a pretty decent amount. Let's get into Zach Wilson. The Jets are 3-3 three and three with Zach Wilson as their starting quarterback. Okay, I know their defense has done a lot of the legwork. Okay, they're 3-0 and in games. They've forced three or more turnovers. But there's a world where Wilson wasn't good enough to win these games when their defense has played spectacular. Okay, like this Jets schedule so far hasn't been easy. Okay, and Wilson, like it's been pretty well established, he's not a franchise quarterback. It's only year two of his career, but he doesn't appear to be, you know, like a solid everyday starter. He's not going to be Dak Prescott. He's not going to be Kirk Cousins. He's not going to be anybody like that. He's going to be a backup in the NFL. But if he can, you know, earn the lifeboat quarterback status, then he could earn himself a lot more money. Fun fact, Tyrod Taylor. Gardner Minshew, guys like this make a lot more money than your Brandon Allens of the world. Okay? And look, through these first six games, as I was saying for the Jets, they've been tough. They've been against good opponents outside of the Broncos game. Okay? They they lost to the Patriots, who I know aren't great, but Bill Belichick is a young quarterback's worst nightmare. He chews up and spits out even experienced quarterbacks. Okay? So, of course, he, he did the same thing to Wilson. Yeah, they've played tough games. They had to play the Cowboys. Uh, They had to play... Oh, who else did they have to play? Jeez. I had all this written down, and then my notes thing got deleted. So let me just pull up their schedule real quick. But it's been tough, and their schedule lightens up, especially over these next, you know, three games or so. Um, Yeah, they they lost... They 
they they beat the Eagles this week. Obviously, like that's a, like the Eagles. That's arguably the best team in the NFC. As I said, they they beat the Broncos hands down the worst team on their schedule. They barely lost to the Chiefs, where Zach Wilson played pretty well. Pats fifteen to ten. They get crushed by the Cowboys thirty to ten. Uh, they beat the Bills week one, right? So they played the Bills, who I think everybody knows is a good football team. Uh, they beat, or they, they lost to the Cowboys, they lost to the Pats, they lost to the Chiefs, they beat the Broncos, and they beat a good Eagles team. Okay, they beat the Bills and the Eagles with Zach Wilson. That cannot be ignored. That's a, like, that's impressive to do so with a backup quarterback. And like I said, as good as this Jets defense has been, like the quarterback still has to play well. Like you still got to find ways to score points. Okay, so if he can earn this lifeboat level status. He's going to be good. And look, the rest of their schedule lightens up a lot. Their next three games are against the Giants. That's very winnable. The Chargers, that's very winnable. The Raiders, that is winnable. We could look up in three weeks, and the Zach Wilson-led New York Jets are 6-3. and three. What's even crazier is if Wilson wins most of, if not all of, the winnable games here on out because... As I said, the schedule lightens up. They have to play the Bills again. They have to play the Dolphins twice. But outside of that, they got to play the Falcons. Like the Falcons, that's a solid football team. But the Jets can win that game. They get the Texans at home. Texans, good football team. But that's very winnable. They get the Commanders. That's very winnable. They get the Browns. That's going to be obviously a tough game. But it's Week 18. Maybe the Browns have been eliminated from playoff contention. You never know, right? Week 18 games can be weird. Okay, but they could win ten plus games if he can just play to the level of a lifeboat quarterback. Do what Tyrod Taylor did on Sunday Night Football. Don't turn the football over, and be somewhat accurate. And most importantly, don't check to a run with fourteen seconds left in the half, and you don't have any timeouts. Probably shouldn't do that. But look, if Wilson can keep these Jets afloat, then the Jets could be poised to make a playoff run under Aaron Rodgers. The issue is, as I said earlier, lifeboats don't usually last 18 weeks. So, I wouldn't bet on it, but it's very possible that we look up and this Jets team has gone 10-7 and and they sneak in, you know, as a wild card team and Aaron Rodgers, you know, takes the reins back over and we see what this Jets team can do. Then again, you know, Aaron Rodgers came out so that he could potentially play by week 12, which I'll be pretty shocked by. But, you know, we'll end up seeing how it goes. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. As I said, I'll be back tomorrow doing some Brock Purdy, Justin Herbert stuff. Can't wait to get into that. Um, Yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, I'll be back tomorrow with more Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you have a good one.